Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I argue and critique horror films, like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never quite learn anything. Maybe we never enlighten you. Maybe we never give you all the layers of a movie to peel away <laughs> that you would like, although we try. But, <laughs> but hopefully you just have a good time listening. So... Today we are continuing our Cabin in the Woods horror theme by touching on the 2003 film Cabin Fever. Uh, this was directed by Eli Roth, who also, of course, did the film Hostel, which I think he's probably most famous for in terms of movies. Uh, he also did The Green Inferno, which I really fucking hate. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, I mean, you know, maybe that can be reserved for if we ever talk about cannibals, and I'll tell you why, but... <laughs> Uh, but it was directed by him. It was written by Roth and Randy Perlstein, uh, who I guess was actually a uh, ex roommate of Roth from college. So of course that makes sense <laughs> a little bit. And it's essentially Cabin Fever is essentially a film that came about in the early two thousands and follows a group of teens who go up to a cabin for a you know regular getaway of drinking and fucking and <laughs> and shooting squirrels as one of them does because i guess that's what you do when you go to the woods Apparently. if you're an idiot um but uh but they go up there and they happen upon a flesh-eating virus that threatens to destroy them all so yeah. <laughs> and, and that's not even half of it so so that's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, we do have our spoiler-free content that we usually do before we get into this, so we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers for Cabin Fever. So just a few releases coming out this week. Uh, first up is, uh, there really wasn't much this week that I thought was worth mentioning, so I'm doing a rare thing here mentioning a series coming out. So Slasher Flesh and Blood uh, is a series coming to Shudder. And this is a continuation of the Slasher series. Uh, I think it. I think this is season four, if I remember correctly. You would actually probably like it. I, I watched some of season one. Uh, for, by the way, from what I understand, I, I think each season's its own kind of little Slasher anthology sort of series, right? So it's all Slasher TV show. Yeah, basically. And Why I, have I, we never <laughs> watched this? Because, because I, I... Do checked, you not love me? <laughs> I mean, I love you, but <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, it's I, I watched about half of the first season. I wasn't really getting into it. Unfortunately, that's how it goes with TV sometimes. You know, there's so much fucking shit to watch these days that if I'm not super into a series, you know, I might not continue in the next season. So, so, well, you know, I should watch the Slasher series <laughs> considering how much I love Slashers. And this one in particular intrigues me because David Cronenberg... Uh, the master of body horror is playing one of the characters, and we all know that anytime David stars in a film, he absolutely kills it. So, yes. <laughs> uh, so it definitely sounds worth checking out for that. But so, anyway, so that's coming out to show this week. These will all be out by the time you're listening to this. 
And lastly is the sequel to Don't Breathe, Don't Breathe 2, which Chris is already making a face, and I mostly understand why. But uh, So Don't Breathe 2 follows this time the old man uh, who was our villain in the first film. And in this case, he's kind of like training a little girl for like survival tips and whatever. You know, we don't really know the full story here. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, a bunch of people break into their house and kidnap the girl. And then the old man goes after them to get her back. Now, the thing I really quickly want to say about this, because I know why Chris is making a face. <laughs> and, and, and the reaction to this trailer was just absolutely ridiculous so i just want i just want to clarify things for for the audience out there that is really pissed about this movie totally okay you're allowed to be frustrated by it i get it if you've seen the first don't breathe you know some things about the old man yep. that that are extremely cringeworthy yep. <laughs> and so and so seeing a film where the trailer sort of presents him as the hero I understand why people are a little like, ooh, I don't know if I'm into that. That's fine. Not everything's for everybody. You don't have to like it. <laughs> the thing that I was opposed to is when this trailer came out, there were just scores of people that basically just outright seemed like they want the film banned and never be seen by audiences, oh. you know? And and in that case, I'm just like, can we not use progressivism as backwards conservatism? <laughs> like, can we not? <laughs> can we not? do that and and censor these films like i thought being a horror fan was about not having censorship <laughs> well and especially look i i definitely have my potential issues with it because i had my issues with the first one but if this was if the main guy if the old dude wasn't the hero in this if it wasn't a carryover this looks like a really cool movie. This well, look, seems well, really well, fun I, and I, interesting. I, I want to correct you there because the old man is not necessarily the hero. That's the other thing people need to understand. You're watching it, and I know, I know we never really go into the releases like <laughs> this, but I want to get this <laughs> off my chest. The trailer, you're watching two minutes of an entire film. Yeah. You know, and and the creators like Fede Alvarez and the director have already come out and said, you know, the old man, like, this story is not what you think. The old man is not a hero. They don't even refer to him as an anti-hero. They refer to him as, like, an anti-villain, basically, <laughs> or whatever the hell that means. I don't know. But I just want, so I just want to put it out there. Perception, yeah. looks can be deceiving, right? So, like, if you're watching that trailer and you're like, oh, the old man's the hero, that's bullshit. I guarantee you this film is not going to treat it that way. <laughs> well, and especially after the trailer for the first one. Like, the first Don't Breathe you know, really, like, hit us all out of nowhere. Like, that mm. trailer really didn't set up what that movie was going to be, I don't think. And so I do think that everybody, before you, like, double down on it, you got to watch the movie. You have no idea what they're going to do with this. No. I have my issues with Don't Breathe, but I'm still going to go and see fucking Don't Breathe 2 because I want to know what happens. And I'm right. not going <laughs> to lie, I want to see something happen to this old man. Oh, I, I think we all do, you know. I don't think there's anybody rooting for the old man. At no. least I hope not. <laughs> but but look, you know, so just to, just to end, end it with this, like, totally, again, Completely okay if you don't want to see the movie. Completely yeah. okay if you express that you don't want to see the movie. I think that's absolutely fine. I just really despise these calls for, like, censorship and not making movies like this and stuff like that. Because it's just... We gotta understand what that means, you know, when we're calling for those things. Like, think about it this way. When it gets to the point where horror fans, like, you know, the, the, the group... <laughs> 
that is the least upset about things in film. <laughs> you know, the group that takes a lot from movies and mm -hmm. watches like some of the most horrific shit you can find out there. When we're calling for censorship over something, the world, we're in a bad place. Yeah. You know? And we just have to, you know. I would just, I would just like to see us as, as a general consensus, just like get around that and move on, and let's not be calling for these things to be banned and stuff like that. Okay, we're not, we're not the soccer parents from the <laughs> 1980s trying to fucking ban Silent Night, Deadly Night because it has a killer Santa. All right, like I do not want to go back to that. So, no. no. <laughs> so, all right, now that that's off my chest. So those are our releases for the week. Um. <laughs> A little feisty today. Uh, so so we also like to put up a poll every week on our Twitter at Killer Critics and kind of get your thoughts and feelings on the film overall and what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think Cabin Fever falls? I'm going to go with it's fine. Because, like, I feel like, you know, there's definitely, like, some cult love for Cabin Fever, but I don't know if it's quite enough to carry it into the love it category. Yeah, so you're absolutely correct. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> one of the few times. Uh, so doesn't it. happen often. I get a treat. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so love it is uh, thirty one point seven percent. It's fine was forty two point three percent. Don't like it is sixteen point three percent, and never seen it is nine point eight percent. That pretty much falls about where I thought it would. Yeah. I, I, I figured this one was going to fall around. It's fine uh, for a variety of reasons. You know, I think that the film itself is maybe a little bit dated. Uh, <laughs> there's, a little. There's, uh, I, I think there's a lot of people who might not just like it purely because of Eli Roth. And I also understand that. And look, we're going to talk about all this shit in a yep. minute. But but so, so anyway, we always like to get comments on the film as well from you all. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, first up is at... I'm going to say this wrong, at Sermopolis, and that's S-Y-R-M-O-P-O-L-I-S. And they say, one of my fave horror films, I just love the sudden swings from terrifying to goofy humor. That said, the underlying theme of people being the real issue versus the virus couldn't be more apropos for our current situation. That theme freaked me out before, now it terrifies me. Side question, what's with that doctor in a bunny costume? Is that a <laughs> is that a homage to The Shining? Yeah, I feel like Cabin Fever is one of many films that hits a lot differently having gone through the pandemic. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and all that and dealing with sickness and these these characters and how they deal with sick people. And, and honestly, it deals with it in different ways than we've already talked about, you know, because mm -hmm. we touch on films like The Thing and uh, and and uh, Stakeland the other day, just to name a couple. But uh, but this this film really does, I think, look at the way people respond to sickness itself and those in help in yeah. a in a way that differs from those that we talked about already. And and I'm completely with Sermopolis here in that when you see the parallels, you know, all of those films accurately kind of reflect the way that humanity reacts to these sort of things. And, and Sermopolis is dead on in that this this film runs a pretty close parallel, I think, to kind of how things are currently being treated in our pandemic Yo. over the last year, right? Yeah. So. And and yes, we are going to get into all that when we get into spoiler territory here. But and then just as a quick answer to the bunny costume question, which we might get more into this when we talk about uh, things later on, I'm just going to say yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, 
I absolutely believe that's a homage to The Shining. I, I can't remember if Roth has ever personally come out and said that it is. I'm sure he has, and I'm just forgetting. He purposely said they will never say who played <laughs> that character. <laughs> like, in the credits, it says we'll never tell. Mm-hmm. That's the same deal that went around who's in the bunny costume in The Shining. Yeah. Uh, definitely homage. The Shining itself is a cabin fever movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And and Roth just references all sorts of them all throughout this. Some pretty obviously, others in ways you might not quite recognize immediately. I um, missed all the references. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I got this one, though. I got the bunny suit shining. Oh, at least you got that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, thank you, Sermopolis, for the comment. I really appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Narcotic Casser one So that's Narcotic, C-A-S-S-E-R, and then the number one. And they say, definitely was a loud declaration of a new name in horror, and it's hilarious how the titular cabin fever isn't even the thing that kills everyone, just the paranoia that comes from it. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's one of the things that I I do really appreciate about this film. I have mixed feelings about it. I have mixed feelings about Eli Roth. I'm not going to say that he's necessarily a bad director. What I am going to say is he's not a director for the type of movies I personally like to watch. Oh, yeah, that's fair. And that's okay. But I do think that with this film, he walked a very fine line that it's really easy to dislike him for. But he did do it masterfully. And there's a reason why he's one of the horror names, whether we like it or not. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, you know, to to comment on what Arcata Caster said, it's... You know, this was a declaration of a new name. And look, like him or not, you know, Cabin Fever was a big surprise for people. You know, this was what people got to understand is, you know, I I feel like you can probably look back at this film if you didn't catch it when it came out. You can look back on this and think like, oh, that's pretty tame. You know, I I mean, it's it's not like there are (laughs) there are things in it that are pretty horrific, actually. But but considering what that decade was, you know, with films like Hostel and Saw and that whole generation of you know, movies that sparked the whole awful torture porn stereo or, or the, the torture porn genre, which I completely disagree with the name of that. But, <laughs> but you know, Cabin Fever was kind of like right on the cusp of that, of being one of these really just in your face, violent movies that kind of called back to sort of a grindhouse era. So you, the thing you have to understand is like people like myself who grew up in the 90s or or even horror fans that have been around before me, you know, we went through the 80s of, like, all this really fun, kind of dumb, goofy... I mean, it's not all goofy, but, you know, we went through a lot of, like, really dumb, fun horror. And then the 90s was sort of like this MTV era of horror where it was, like, <laughs> a lot of over-the-top blockbusters and then, you know, teen slashers like Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. So Cabin Fever was kind of like this thing that sort of blew people's minds at the time because I still... I. Like, it impacted me in such a way that I still remember watching the trailer for it and being freaked out because it looked like something that was really going to make me uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. And it did. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he succeeded. And uh, so, so I, you know, I hate to sound complimentary of Eli Roth because I honestly do kind of despise the guy, <laughs> but... <laughs> and yes, I will get into why probably shortly here, but... But, you know, but yeah, it, it was a loud declaration of this new name on the horror scene. And, and you know, so I completely agree with Narcotic Castle there. But anyway, thank you for the comment, Narcotic Castle 1. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at M Sawzall. So that's M-S-A-W-Z-A-L-L. And they say, I used to love it, but damn, every character is so unlikable. <laughs> on the plus side, good cinematography and gore effects. Yeah, I hate... Every character in this film. 
They're uh, terrible. I don't think there's a <laughs> single one that I like. But here's the thing that I will give to, I don't know whether to give it to the actors or give it to Eli Roth. Either way, you have this complete cast of unlikable characters. And Cabin Fever, for me personally, walks a very fine line that I think they do it well. Where we had this issue in the 90s and 2000s of having casts of characters that we hated. And we just wanted to see the body count. For no reason. There was no reason to not like them. It didn't It didn't matter to the story or what was happening. With Cabin Fever, you kind of have to hate all the characters. They all have to be assholes for the movie to play out and for it to have the impact it does. So as much as I hate having a cast that I hate all of them, I think that this is one of the few movies where it works more in its favor than against it. Yeah. Uh, so now there's another one I completely agree with. Uh you know, yeah, Kevin Fever's this film where, like, you know, it, it had been a while since I've seen it. And I, I remembered it fondly enough. You know, again, it's not a film that I love, but I remember liking it, right? Mm-hmm. And it, I think it had been years since I watched it. And so, you know, popping it in and <laughs> you're you're automatically introduced to characters uh, like Bert, played by James DeBello. And he's out there saying a whole lot of offensive shit, you know? A whole lot. And, and that's just the first couple of minutes. And I'm just like, oh, man, I think I hate all these people, yep. you know? But as I told uh, as, as I told Sozel, uh, I do think that there's a pretty deliberate reason for why that is mm-hmm. and why these people are so fucking <laughs> terrible uh, <laughs> that we'll get into when we have like you know more freedom to talk spoilers here. But uh, but no, clearly the characters are pretty damn unlikable. So I get it if anyone has cooled on this film over time. It, it does not. In terms of language and the way that people act, it does not necessarily hold up. You know, it's not it's not a twenty twenty one friendly movie in that nope. regard. Um, but but also agree, you know, great cinematography and gore effects. Both yeah. of those areas of the film are superb. So uh, anyway, thank you at M Sawzall for the comment. Really appreciate it. And the last up is a comment from at the Hot Horror Queen. Uh, so that's as it sounds. I think you can all spell that the Hot Horror Queen. And they say, it's not held up terribly well. I think at the time of a release, with more extreme cinema making a resurgence, it was a bit more fresh than it is upon revisiting. Props to the well-done practical effects, though. A.K.A. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's that's kind of how I feel about this. And look, what I find really dated about Cabin, Cabin Fever, and what is kind of a tragedy with it, is the language. Like, if Eli Roth hadn't gone so hard on early 2000s language and the not greatness involved in that. Well, but yes and no. I mean, look, there's a very particular element in the language that, that I do think rubs people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And that was actually a factor in, as far as I understand it, in studios passing on it. Because they basically, I even hate saying it this way, but like basically... You know, there there's some N word thrown around around here, you know, and yep. it, and I don't even like saying that because to me it just implies the actual word, but um, but that gets thrown around a bit, and I I think that even in the film's context, it's not okay. No, it's not. <laughs> but but as far as the other stuff goes, I mean, look, it doesn't play well now. I I don't necessarily blame Roth in a sense because that just was unfortunately the language for the time. Yep. <laughs> You know, I don't even really want to say this shit, so yeah. so I'll save it for spoiler territory for those who don't want to hear me say those words. But you know, so it it, it is dated in that way. It doesn't hold up terribly well in that regard. Uh, and this, I think this, I think the Hot Horror Queen sums it up pretty well, and just the fact that you know it, it's a film of its time. 
Uh, it definitely was was in, in, an impactful movie at the time of release. Hasn't quite held up the same way, but it is still it does still have areas of it that are really enjoyable because of how well done they are. You know, it, yeah, it is a horror fans horror film. You know, just full of so much great gore yeah. and just like a really just uncomfortable, like queasy kind of you know story and way that things play out here. So, so I do think that if you're looking for that you know, that kind of intense get under your skin sort of movie. I do think that the cabin fever works mostly in that regard. You know, mm-hmm. I, there, it has its flaws, but I think it mostly yeah. works. Uh, but anyway, thank you at the hot horror queen for the comment. Really appreciate it. So one last thing we'd like to do before we get into spoilers is a tagline versus the film. Just kind of talk about the tagline, what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for cabin fever was terror in the flesh. <laughs> You laugh every time. Because you, I never... you, you put so much like effort into like the voice and the saying it that it just tickles me pink every time. I'm delighted. It tickles you pink. Um, <laughs> but okay, so 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 you do you like the tagline? What do you think of the movie uh, overall? <laughs> I mean the tagline the tagline's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And that's kinda how I feel about this film. Like look, Eli Roth isn't really my favorite director or anything like that so for me i think that cabin fever is fine on watching it i got like hardcore flashbacks to sitting on the on the bus in middle school just because of the language and all that kind of stuff mm. and that's the hardest thing for me with this film is that like when you put so much slang and like how people talk and that cadence in there, it dates your film and it gets it hard for me to get into it. Cause I'm like, I'm not 12 anymore. I don't want to listen to people talk like this. Yeah. I mean, that's completely fair. I, the gore's great. I love the gore. We all do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, look, I think that's fair. As far as tagline goes, you know, I actually do like this one only because I think it, kind of has uh, hidden implications as to what this movie's really about. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we're going to get into that. I don't do this stuff here in, in spoiler-free stuff. But, um, you know, th- this film does have a lot of... It, this film has a lot of thematics regarding, you know, uh, sex and the spread of STDs and stuff like that. And and that's just one of the themes. Like, I hate to say this because, again, I really don't like Eli Roth, but the script is actually pretty smart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hate to say that, but it is actually pretty <laughs> smart. Uh, so we'll get into that in a minute. But but I do think that that idea of terror in the flesh, you know, it, it's it's implying like it's making you think about the flesh. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> and this movie isn't just about, you know, a flesh eating disease. It's more about the flesh itself. And, yeah. And both the excitement and the terror of that. So, <laughs> uh, so we're about to get into that. We're getting into spoiler free, or we're getting into spoiler territory now. So, again, if you have not seen Cabin Fever, please do go check it out. We're going to talk about as much of this movie as we can. So, there will be spoilers and so plenty many of spoilers. them. <laughs> uh, so check it out if you can. I don't know if it's streaming, uh, unfortunately. So you know, look it up and see if it is. But. <laughs> Uh, but I, I would say it's maybe worth the rental if you're into those kinds of movies. But if yeah. you really hate Eli Roth and his work, maybe it's not for you. I'm just just throwing that out there. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but with that being said, so as usual, who do you want to talk about in this movie? You know, we have a pretty interesting cast here. Uh, Ryder Strong, who plays Paul. Uh, Jordan Ladd, who actually also shows up in Death Proof with Eli Roth. Uh, she plays Karen. Uh, James DeBello plays Bert. Serena Vincent plays Marcy. 
Uh, Joey Kern is Jeff. What do you want to talk about in this movie? Uh, so I want to talk about our like pseudo main character, Paul, um, played by Ryder Strong, who, like many people, I uh, also had a crush on when he was in Boy Meets World. <laughs> you would. Of course. He was the bad boy in Boy Meets World. Who can't love him? <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. It's just so funny to look at Ryder Strong and think he was the bad boy. I know. I, <laughs> Oh, Especially yeah. watching this movie where he's very much not. The, he's not know? the bad boy. <laughs> Look, and I want to talk about Paul because, you know, it's it's one of the things that I love about horror films is the fact that they they touch on a lot of different nuances in society. So I always like when we have a main character like Paul who is set up kind of to be our like soft pushover, like gentle boy. And mm. it's really apparent from very early on that Paul is a creepy, skeevy dude and is kind of, like, pointing to the fact that, like, this is one of those you cannot trust the boy next door because he might be creepier well, than Bert. Well, I think, I mean, this is, look, this is where things start to get weird with Cabin Fever, right? Mm -hmm. and, and Eli Roth being involved is like, so I'm just going to throw it out really quickly because I don't want to talk about this, but, you know, for those that don't know, Eli Roth has allegations against him and of you know I, he does. I, I don't know that anything's ever been confirmed i'm not that well read on it but but he has had those allegations he's had some pretty awful comments about directing women especially in like nude scenes and stuff like that mm -hmm. so so it, it starts to get to a place of like i almost sort of feel like paul is eli roth and, is and his <laughs> self-insert character not necessarily more so just that like i think it's hard to tell right so I think that they're because of because of how the film plays out. I I want to believe that Paul is supposed to be looked at as a character as you as one that you're not supposed to be like, mm -hmm. you know. But he also strikes me as, you know, you could also lean the other way and say that Paul is also perhaps you know the kind of representation of just like what people thought the. <laughs> the boy next door was back then right like yeah you know i mean that like like take for example you know you have the scene which i know makes you all cringy and as it should you know uh you have the scene at, at one point in the film where he's kind of starting to feel up karen when feeling she's asleep, of a sleeping right? person now that's ron yep. that's very ron yeah <laughs> but i don't know that that concept was considered as ron as it should be at the time you mm -hmm. know like, like, I don't, you know, cause, cause I think there's the implication there of like, I, you know, I think in Paul's mind, he's doing that and she moans cause she's sleeping or whatever. And yeah. he probably thinks like, oh, it's okay. You know, mm -hmm. uh, like, I don't know that Paul actually knows that it's Ron in the moment. And, yeah. and that, I feel like that was kind of a very prevalent attitude. And I don't know, it might still be among teen boys. I have no idea, but. <laughs> well, and that's what I find so interesting about Paul is the fact that like, I think that there are a lot of, there's a lot of pieces of his personality that shows us that are pieces that we're supposed to sympathize with or look towards, you know, like he's the one who's trying to keep everybody from like fighting. He has that scene um, after they've they've put Karen in the shame cabin for being diseased. In the shame cabin. <laughs> the cabin of shame. Cabin of shame. <laughs> you know. Which, by the way, is a reference to the thing. <laughs> of course it. Oh, it is. Yeah, when they put the guy who they think is infected in there, the doctor. Yeah. Also a shame cabin. <laughs> shame cabins abound. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, he comes in between Bert and Jeff who are trying to, like, fight each other. And he has this line where he's just like, look, 
you know, we can eat separately, we can do everything separately, but we gotta talk to each other. Gotta talk. And that's how I feel like they're presenting Paul. Paul is this sensitive one who's trying to keep everybody with their heads on. But Paul also has this darker side. He doesn't understand boundaries. He goes and talks to a kid he doesn't know on a bench with no provocation. I don't feel bad well, okay. that Dennis bites him. <laughs> I, I mean, that's definitely not the moment that I walk away from when I'm like, I can't believe he sat next to that kid. No, but, <laughs> but it's, there's a couple of things in the beginning, like how he watches Jeff and Marcy making out in the car and how he interacts with Dennis, that it all kind of leads me up to him at the end. Because... Him at the end, he kills a lot of people he does not need to kill. <laughs> He's the one who gets very violent and aggressive towards he, the end. He does, but this is what I'm trying to get to is like, mm. I don't know that the early on stuff necessarily implies that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm more looking at it this way. Like, just think about this way, right? Mm -hmm. We can watch this 2002, 2003, whatever movie in 2021 and say, oh, there are warning signs about Paul. Yeah. You know, but... It's the same thing as, you know, you watch films from the 1980s mm -hmm. where, you know, men are like, you know, essentially just completely like objectifying <laughs> women and stuff like that. And and it's treated as like, oh, those dudes are like our heroes. Right. You yeah. know, like, like, again, like, look at the movie The Burning that we talked about recently, right, where those <laughs> dudes are just fucking terrible, but they're they're treated like nicely by the movie in a sense. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's the same way as like in 2000, we could have looked back at those movies in the 1980s and said, oh, they probably thought that was OK then, but it's not, you know. Mm. And so I think when I look at Cabin Fever in the terms in regards to Paul, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of sympathy trying to be thrown his way. He kind of strikes me as as he's being built up as that sort of typical kind of guy that you saw in like you know especially the 90s with movies like american pie or something like that and i hated and all those dudes too i, I know you did <laughs> and, you know but he, he he's a guy he's a he's a teenager or or a college guy of the time mm -hmm. of just like we're supposed to be sympathetic towards him and, and be feeling like oh you know he just really likes this girl karen and that's why he's so like you know, obsessive and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think we've learned a few things since then and probably, and we knew them then. We just didn't talk about it. But, yep. but you know, we, <laughs> but, but, but we're able to understand now of like, oh, you know what? It's kind of creepy that, you know, they kiss and then he's like, hey, I thought we were kissing. Is this a date? You know, like yeah. that kind of shit's fucking weird. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because, I'm not going to say for certain, but I feel pretty confident saying that, you know, female horror fans watching this movie in the 90s, in its or in the early 2000s, in its heyday, probably still picked up on those red flags. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, I, I'm talking, I'm trying to talk from the perspective of, I don't know. And look, I don't, I don't usually like to do this and talk from the perspective of the director because mm -hmm. you don't, you don't know unless they've actually come out and said anything about it. Right. But I, I just get the sense from the script, you know, that, that maybe Paul is supposed to be sympathetic. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I think he very much is set up to be that way. And I think to your point earlier about this being kind of Eli Roth's self-insert kind of, I think it really showcases like, you know, that mentality that was, that's the big thing with Cabin Fever is a lot of the character stuff I think is very evident of the mentality in the 2000s. Yeah, well, so speaking of, because uh, I don't, <laughs> don't want to rest on that all day, you know, who I want to talk about really quick is just Bert, and it's because... Oh, that dude. 
It's because Bert, Bert to me is sort of the catalyst for kind of what this movie is really talking about here. Mm -hmm. And, and to me, part of that is like Bert essentially represents a ton of things. He represents like, uh, misconceptions of people, privilege versus underprivilege, that kind of stuff, you know? So like when you, when you look at Bert, he's basically the definition of dumb white privilege, you know? I mean, the guy, <laughs> yep. like, the guy's running around with the with an FU hat on, you know, like, drinking beer and hunting squirrels in the woods, and, you know, then he's, like, he's going to the store, and he's stealing a candy bar, and, and the guy stops him outside and makes him give it back, and then he's, like, you know, like, to be to be quite fair to the, the store owner, like, you know, he could have called the cops and... Yeah. and 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 had Bert arrested or whatever, mm -hmm. and he lets him go, and he, he treats him like a normal dude, right? Just like give me back the candy bar, and then Bert hops in the truck and is like, "Fucking racist assholes, come back and burn this shop," you know, like <laughs> being a tall dick about it, and and then you also and, and I and I mentioned that example because you know you have to believe like in this film, not necessarily, but. But Bert's basically doing something that we all know that, you know, people from communities of color, they might not get the same treatment nope. as, you know, if they had stolen something like that. So so you definitely get a sense of, like, the privilege <laughs> with these kids. And then, you know, that also kind of extends to, like, the first scene when we meet them. They're driving away from college, and you've got this little boy out there eating ice cream, and Marcy's like don't go to college kid it's a scam never go you know like that kind of stuff yeah and to me that also just struck me as a bit of privilege like i get it you know when you're in college you're like fuck college and let's be frank college kind of is a scam in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah at least it was for my generation because mm -hmm. colleges are fucking overpriced and all that but but it's still education it still helps you eventually you hope so you know it, it just struck me as the sort of thing of like these kids who don't appreciate what they have they don't appreciate uh their place in life and their and their advantages right yeah and they're going out to the woods with this highly underprivileged community where yes it's a lot of white people mm -hmm. but you know you get the sense they don't have a good education they don't have the money to go to a nice school like this or anything you know and, yeah and so so it just like it, it just really strike me bert is just very much like the difference right of that sort of privileged community versus kind of going into you know sort of the unknown and yeah <laughs> and, and these sort of poorer communities right so <laughs> and i also just made a note of like i don't know maybe, maybe you know maybe a reason bert's such an asshole is maybe he's confused by his sexuality and is just taking it out on everybody by being a dick so <laughs> i mean maybe like that dude like goes from one to a hundred the thing that like well, well i just say that because he reminds me of those dudes in school who were always like so kind of you know anti-gay and anti-everyone basically mm -hmm. that like you knew that they were really like covering up for I, something right so i definitely think that there is probably a part of bert that's like dealing with some kind of insecurity because like 100%. yeah you don't you don't watch the language that bert uses and the fact that he gets so aggro so quickly without being like oh you're fucking hiding something but at the same time, I don't give a shit what you're hiding. You can play a drinking game to how many times he says the word gay in this movie. Oh, I And don't also, care. he I calls don't... the women bitches and whores <laughs> and sluts. So oh. he can go fuck himself. Oh, I, I, don't care. I don't care if Bert's a goddamn <laughs> alien from Mars with a cure for cancer, you know? Like, he does not get the right to be a fucking dickhead to everybody. So. Nope. <laughs> but all right, so, you know, so kind of touching on the idea that, like, all these kids are heading out to the woods, right? This kind of, like, place of the unknown. Why do you think that 
you know, between this and slashers like Friday Thirteenth and Sleepaway Camp and you know Evil Dead, like a lot of these, a lot of these Cabin in the Woods movies, uh, why why are the woods kind of like a popular setting for these teen horror films? Do you think? Well, I think it really comes down to the um, the isolation factor. We want to get our victims alone and see how they behave when they are cut off from everything. Um, because, you know, what we run into with, like, slashers and everything like that that take place in town, you can walk down the street and you can get to the police officers. You know, you can call someone on the phone, all that kind of stuff. And when you take your characters and you put them in the woods, they're suddenly isolated. You know, they're they're having to deal with the fact that they don't have any resources. They don't know the terrain. It's all that unknown. Well, well look, I mean, isolation's obvious, right? Because it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Good well, job, Chris. You got a basic bitch answer. <laughs> well, no, I just, I just mean that, like, you know, isolation, I don't think, is the reason why it's teens. Uh-huh. You know, like, isolation would play well to anyone, Uh in these cabin in the woods kind of movies, right? So, is it the uh, sex? Yeah, actually. So, <laughs> I guessed it. Uh, Default answer: always sex. Usually, um, especially in horror. But no, I I do kind of view the woods as you know, sort of being a metaphor for like discovering your sexuality in a sense, right? Yeah. So let's think about it this way. You know, as far as we know, I mean, unless Paul is, I don't get the sense that he is, though. You know, maybe I don't get the sense he's gotten much action but i think he's got action yeah, he's not a virgin uh, so like i don't i don't get the sense that any of these kids are necessarily discovering their sexuality right you know none, none of them are virgins as far as we know but there is still that there, there's a different element of sexuality that's being touched on here mm-hmm. you know and and that is so when you're <laughs> if for 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 any of you who are not a teenager anymore you know maybe think back to your teenage years or if you are a teenager i assume this is probably a thing you think about you know so i don't know about the rest of you but like when i was first kind of you know becoming sexually active one of my one of the things i thought about all the time that scared the shit out of me was stds you know like they <laughs> <laughs> like they 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 show you that shit in health class i will never forget seeing a dick covered in what basically looked like cauliflower, you know, like, and and I remember thinking that is the nastiest thing I've ever seen. I do not want that dick, you know, (laughs) you don't want a cauliflower dick, did not want a cauliflower dick. And, and, you know, I, I remember just being really freaked out about that. Like to the point where, you know, if and when I did get laid, which, you know, let's be fair, it wasn't often, but when I did, (laughs) uh, but what I did, I, I remember there was like a few weeks time period of me just thinking to myself, like, please God, don't wake up in the next few days and have like herpes or something, you know, like (laughs) you are the most anxious person I know. I am. But look, (laughs) but I mean, but they're a big deal, you know, I mean, fuck it. Especially if you were part of the, you know, part of the queer community in the eighties with AIDS, right? Like Mm -hmm. we, we think about this stuff. Right. And, and that's a fear that I think comes along with just the natural fear of sex and the unknown. So, so anyway, (laughs) as far as woods, right. Um, (laughs) Hey, Oh, yeah uh as far as that you know the the woods are the unknown Mm -hmm. for for the type of teens that we're seeing these movies you know like almost all the time these teenagers are not coming from places like you know the deep south or anything like that they're coming from the city or the suburbs or you know they they don't strike me as like uh people that are in the woods very often you know so for them the woods is kind of like this mysterious place you know that you can kind of get lost in and it's the unknown and so so yeah i sort of view like 
basically these teen films are like these kids coming into the woods and we often associate the woods as well with like you know kind of spiritual journeys and stuff like that and so mm-hmm. i sort of view it as that like these these teenage cabin horror movies are kind of like these spiritual coming of age journeys that you know often end pretty horrifically for <laughs> for these sex adult teens <laughs> well and i think to your point this one ties in really well with like the std stuff um just because like every time the the rash manifests it's always on the privates it's always on the privates and it always comes during sexual encounters. Yep. So like the very first time that we notice, like obviously that uh, that one of the teens is infected is when Paul's, you know, starting touching to, a sleeping woman. <laughs> when, Paul, when Paul's <laughs> starting to, to touch sleeping Karen, right? Yep. Uh, that's the first time we notice it. We also notice it after Paul sleeps with uh, Marcy and leaves those fingerprints on her back, you know, who, who doesn't use a condom. And just tries to get off with being like, don't worry, I'm healthy. Like, Which is ironic, bitch. too, because Paul interrupts her and Jeff early on in the film when they're about to get down. And he tells them safe sex and then runs around like a little child. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then what does he do? You know, later on in the film, goes to sleep with Marcy. Asks if she has a condom. She's like, I'm healthy. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. And they have no protection. So it's like, so yeah, no, it, it's very much an STD conscious movie and and kind of talking about those fears well and especially since the disease is is spread by by liquids it's spread through water same as everything else yeah well there's that uh but kind of you know just kind of going back to the sex idea is like you know it also comes up the first time that the virus shows up to them mm-hmm. is when they're talking about sex around the campfire yeah you know and and, and it kind of pops up then so it's like uh, or, or, you know, the disease guys pops up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, it's just all over the place with this. Well, and speaking of the campfire, I feel like one of our other themes gets brought up around there when, um, you know, Paul and Jeff are kind of talking about the maniac story. Um, so I'm curious what you think the significance of that story is. So, I mean, this can, this kind of plays a couple different ways. And first of all, I think it's interesting in one sense, and this is where, Warning for the for the rest of the episode. We're gonna talk about pandemic shit. All right, yeah. so <laughs> so if you don't want to, I, I hear, mean, that's like every episode these days. Oh uh, yeah, fair enough. But so if you don't want to hear that, that's what we're doing. And mm-hmm. and look, we always try to be fun about these things, you know. And, and we're gonna try that tonight. But just letting you know, we're gonna talk about the pandemic. And you must be asking yourself, well, what the fuck does that story about a man <laughs> chopping people to pieces have to do with the pandemic? Well, let me tell you. So so much. <laughs> So much. Um, so first of all, this whole conversation where that happens. So so Marcy says the trauma bonds people, right? And uh, Paul has this reply back of trauma doesn't bond people. Going through trauma together bonds people, right? And so the twofold way to kind of look at the whole purpose to this maniac story. One, it goes back to sex. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, and it, everything goes back to sex every look look people <laughs> in life especially when it comes to movies sex sells all right everything is about sex okay i don't know if you know this yet in your life but everything is about sex whether you like about, it or not it can be about other things too everything <laughs> is about sex unicorns where do you think the inspiration for that horn came from i don't Rhinoceroses. know rhinoceroses <laughs> Who are horny? Who are horny? (laughs) Um, 
no, I'm not a complete idiot, but, (laughs) uh, but no, but in this case, yes, it is sex because, you know, he, this story is basically kind of referring to coming of age because he's, you know, just ignore the whole dude killing people stuff. Right. And Uh and look at it this way is (laughs) after he, after Bert or after Paul finishes telling this story, you know, he, he mentions like, that was my, uh, my childhood playground was this fucking bowling alley where this dude went crazy and killed everybody which apparently is based on our true story I, I don't know i don't know much about it you can look it up if you want but apparently real um but but he mentions it being you know his childhood playground and and essentially the world kind of fucked that up for him so it's kind of like a growing up experience for him right so it's kind of like a growing up experience for him and you know and, and that's kind of what a lot of coming of age movies really are is you know <laughs> Whether you like it or not, again, a, a lot of coming of age does revolve around the discovery of sex and the discovery of, you know, your sexuality and that kind of stuff. So so to me, I just kind of read that as, you know, the point to that story is just talking about growing up. Yeah. You know, and that just connects directly to the whole STDs and sex thing and all that. Mm-hmm. The other way to look at it, which I think is the more relevant way to now, is that, you know... Is, is the trauma part because I think that that line that trauma only bonds us when we've gone through it together, that plays so incredibly hard <laughs> <laughs> to the way that we are living life right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the easiest way to put it is this way, right? Everyone in the world right now, whether you fully believe in the virus whether you fully believe in vaccines or whatever the fuck you know no matter what side of the conversation you're on we've all been touched by the pandemic yeah right the difference is some of us are living through it in a way where we're almost traumatized to the point of we could be done with this shit if it weren't for 50 percent of the people in the fucking world and this country especially pretending like the <laughs> virus is just a uh, normal you know these fucking be- assholes the, you know like i swear to god like if we were in the movie cabin fever like if covid was a flesh-eating disease mm-hmm. i swear to you that the way things are right now these people would look at it and go like that's just the regular flu <laughs> <laughs> The flu, the flu gives you all kinds of weird side effects like that. You know, like I swear they would find some way to cartwheel around it and like, you know, spit that garbage out of their ass. And so this dialogue here really plays right now because, you know, it feels like there's a, it feels like there's a group of us that is traumatized and we're all living in this together. We're all looking at the pandemic in one way together of just Mm -hmm. like how awful it is, how serious it is. And that bonds us in kind of a deep way where it's like, you know, it's such a difference in talking to somebody who accepts that we're in a bad situation and talking to somebody who acts like we're We're not not. in one, right? Yeah. You know, there's such a difference there. And that especially plays out once the kids go looking for help. and and (laughs) Well, and that's the thing for me is that, you know, Paul makes a comment that it trauma bonds people. It doesn't. Let's be honest. Trauma does not necessarily bond people. Like, it only bonds people together who actually care about the people around them. And I think that's what we see in this film. And that's what that story is touching on, is, like, 
there's I feel like you can look at the maniac story and it's telling you beat for beat how the rest of the movie is going to go. You know, because there's the mention of the bowling alley employees watching each of their friends die. Mm. That's what we get in the movie. We watch as each of them die. Marcy makes the comment to that of it's like watching a plane go down um, later on. And then, you know. Yeah, which she says that you grab the person next to you and fuck him. And then what does she do later with Paul? (laughs) She fucks Paul, yeah. (laughs) But I think it's that thing that trauma does have the ability to bond people if you're not a selfish piece of shit. No, I I don't think so. Like, no, no, no. Let me no, I don't think that's right. I, so I, because because look, it let's say you go through some horrible trauma. Mhm. I the reason I don't think that that's correct is like you could talk about it with me and it doesn't really matter how understanding I am. Mhm. And, and and like, you know, it it like it, it it bonds us to a degree of like you know we're closer in a sense because you've shared something uh so traumatic with me mm-hmm. but i think what they're referring to here and and what paul means by you know it only bonds people who go through it together i think that's just referring to the fact that like no matter how you know no matter how like bonding that is for us to you, for you to tell me that or, mm-hmm. or vice versa it doesn't completely really truly bond us in a sense because i'll never be able to understand that trauma because i didn't go through it and vice versa right so so i think what he's just referring to is like you know you only you can show sympathy for someone you can be empathetic you can Mm -hmm. you can have this sort of deeper relationship by sharing these things together but i don't know that it's quite correct to say that you're a selfish <laughs> jerk if you're if you're not bonded only because I don't know that you can ever truly relate to someone unless you've been through it yourself or unless you and, went through it together. And so. I don't disagree with that sentiment, but we're looking at a cast of characters who is going through a traumatic event together. They're all going through the same event and they have different feelings about it, but it's the same event. And we do not see this event bond them together. They they do not try to work together to get through this. They really splinter apart. And I feel like that's that's kind of what this is showcasing. That trauma 100% can bring people together, lift them up, and have them work towards a common goal together. But that is not this cast of characters. Well, see, I still think that that's wrong in a sense. Like, it... <laughs> Not, wait, not, in what way do they work together? No, no, in no. what way are they bonded? No, 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 no. But they are. They are bonded. It's just yeah. They like, fuck each other over, though. No, they're bonded. It's just you know, it, you're just you're just thinking of what a bond means in a different sense of the word. So mm-hmm. like, I, I don't think you're incorrect in saying that you know that that they definitely don't act like people who give a shit about each other because mm-hmm. they they very much like treat each other like crap, right? Yep. Um. So I'm not going to argue that they're not bonded in that sort of way. The way that I the way that I still argue that they are bonded though, and, and what I think kind of speaks to trauma in a sense is that look, you know, the other part of trauma is that for people who don't understand or don't want to listen, it's very lonely, you know, for for someone who has experienced that and is just trying to express themselves, and, and a lot mm-hmm. of people around you just completely ignore you, right? Yeah. And, and I think that that's you know unfortunately a thing that happens with trauma a lot, like you know. And why a lot of people, I, I imagine, don't talk about things like that because they know that, you know, probably 90% of the people in their life just maybe won't care or just won't get it, yeah. you know? And so the way that I think that the characters 
are bonded here in a in, in a different sense of the word is that they're the only ones who accept <laughs> that they have this horrible thing going on. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones who accept that there is this disease and they need help. And what and, and what happens with every turn of the way in this movie, every single person they go to ignores them. <laughs> yeah. Or or does not get them the help that they need, you know, or do, or just just does not help them. And the one time that they come close to that happening, they don't get the help because they realize that they were fucking assholes and killed the person yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who 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 is I think like the the brother of the woman or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um so so I think that and look, again, this is where it plays more into the pandemic that we're living through is is just with the way that that sickness is treated in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, again, the way that the way that this film just plays so hard right now and hit and and hits like a gut punch is just that, you know, sickness has always kind of been this thing that's sort of pushed aside by society, right? Yeah, I mean, even even just think about it this way, okay? The flu. Just just look at the flu itself. The flu is not COVID, you know. COVID's mm-hmm. much deadlier. The flu is still deadly. You yeah. know, the the flu still kills thousands of people a year, right? And that's another one where it's just like if everyone just got their fucking flu vaccine, <laughs> you probably wouldn't have those people dying. Yeah. You know? And so it's like so when it comes to sickness, it's just there. there's always a segment of society that's just like, I don't give a fuck, you know, yeah. and, and just ignores it, whether it's mental health, physical health, whatever. Um, it's always kind of ignored. And and, you know, so when you watch this movie and you've got these kids like run around trying to get help and, you know, they look fucking terrible and people are just, you know, not really treating them any sort of way. And then but but it plays both ways, because when they first encounter a disease, they're doing the same thing. They're yep. ignoring the people who need help. You know, Paul, who's supposed to be our most like heroic character, his best offer to the homeless dude who shows up uh, all sick is like, let's toss him a blanket, you know? Like, yep. like that's going to fucking help him. And <laughs> Before so, he sets him on fire. Right. So so there's just this general, like, this general pushing away of the sick, yep. you know, and, and shoving them under the carpet and pretending like they don't exist. And it's literally like exactly what this last year has been like for a lot of people, I think, where, you know, a sane people wake up and and we're like, wow, it sucks that COVID exists. You yeah. know, like it sucks that that's a thing and, and I'm being careful about it and I don't mind putting on my mask if somebody tells me to. And then there's a whole segment of the population that's like, COVID's not even real, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the, those, peop- those people dying in hospitals, those are those are crisis actors, you know? <laughs> like, it's just, like, it, it's, it just, it's a reflection of the way our society is. Yes. We do not accept things when we would rather just look the other way. Yeah. You know, we do not... We are selfish. We look out for ourselves personally. Mm-hmm. And and that also plays back to when, you know, when we were told at the pandemic that you that you should wear a mask to protect other people. I think they should have just said, listen, everybody wear a mask to protect yourselves. <laughs> and if they had done that, maybe more people would have worn it. But as soon as you told people like, ah, it's mostly to protect other people from you. As soon as you said that, everyone was like, I'm not fucking wearing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that how this film kind of deals with with sickness throughout kind of ties back into what you were saying earlier about Bert, 
that it also ties back to like a privileged thing and a classist thing. Oh yeah. Because you know, you've got Bert, he's the one who first encounters he fucking shoots a man. He fucking <laughs> shoots a man. Oh, oh I mean, yeah, he shoots him. All the kids react yeah. super violently to the guy who shows up. They're all like beating him with bats and right? stuff. Like you know, it, it kind of comes back to, you know, what you were saying earlier, where sickness and kind of this infringement on their comfort level and this unwillingness to consider anybody else's situation or trauma really kind of comes back and bites them in the ass because it's oh, exactly totally. what they end up going through later. Um, and it is very much what we're dealing with right now. That's why for me, you know, I kind of said what I said before about, you know, if you're an asshole, it's not going to bond you because these kids kind of showcase that, that they are showing their own world, their own bubble, their needs, their comfort, that when somebody comes looking for help, do they do the Christian thing? And yeah, I'm going to say it like this. Do they do the Christian thing and help the sick man? No, they do not. Hey, they offered to give him a blanket. Fuck <laughs> that. Like, everything in this film could have easily been negated if they had done the responsible, good, caring thing and it, taken this man. Like, you've got a fucking truck. Put him in the goddamn <laughs> trunk it, and drive him into town and you would have been fine. But because you're selfish asshats... <laughs> you go through this horrible experience. It's it's so funny, right? Like, especially looking at the way that, you know, because let's be honest, I mean, most anti-vax people mm -hmm. are either, y you fall into one of two categories, basically. You're either heavily Republican or heavily Christian or Catholic or whatever. Or and, both. And honestly, both of those things usually pretty much fall together. You know, my yep. sister is one of them, unfortunately. Um, not the Republican part, but she is heavily Christian and therefore anti-vax. So... It's Jesus really <laughs> would approve vaccines. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. Is it's really funny, you know? You see all these churches all over the world, or especially here in the U.S., and and they're all like, "No, fuck masks, masks are, you know, the devil, and all this kind of stuff." And it's like, motherfuckers, like if Jesus descended from the fucking skies today, like the alien god that he is, you know. <laughs> Uh, if he fucking came down here, he'd look at all you people in the church and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Put on a fucking mask. I used to fucking help sick people, you motherfuckers. Like, yeah, he helped lepers. Like, for God's sakes. Like, I did not tell you to do this at all. To be fair, if Jesus came back today, a lot of modern Christians would stone him. Let's oh, be honest. I, I, and that's the irony of it, right? Which, speaking of irony, yeah. you know, I also just like how there there is a bit of irony to the fact that Jeff is <laughs> is treated like probably one of the worst characters, you know, like like the film views him very negatively, right? Yeah. Like like Jeff is never really seen as like very heroic. He's he's very selfish in the movie. He's a smug he, little prick. He's a smug little prick with a funny little duck walk. Sure. <laughs> but the irony to Jeff is that He's actually the only one who's fucking doing the right thing most of the movie. Yep. And, like, for himself, in a sense. I mean, because, you know, he's the only one who you ever see, like, covering his mouth. And mm -hmm. he's and he he takes the fuck off, you know, and he doesn't want to touch anybody and get near. He doesn't want to get in the truck full of blood, right? Jeff is the... Jeff is, like, us now who are like, please, for the love of God, just put on a fucking mask, people. All right, like, just put on a mask, please. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get in the truck with you if you're not wearing a mask. Please just put on a fucking piece of cloth <laughs> over your face, you know? It's just a fucking cloth. Just do it. He he is that character. He would be one of those people in the current pandemic. 
and yet this movie looks at him like you're a piece of shit <laughs> and then he actually gets fucked over in the end because yep. he is the only one who makes it without getting infected and he gets fucking shot yes he does night, night of the living dead style thrown onto a pile of bodies you know I'm, I'm not gonna love i love that moment when he gets shot oh it's great because the film makes you hate jeff yeah. you know so you're like fuck yeah die jeff <laughs> well and it's this weird i think jeff is kind of this interesting character when it comes to like the end and everything like that because yes he does everything right but he also abandons everybody who is relying on him. And I feel like that's that's that weird middle ground when you're going through trauma with a group is, you know, there are incidents where a privileged person like Jeff can just fuck off into the woods with two cases of beer and come out fine. But he abandoned everybody and let everybody else potentially die in the process. And he ends up with the same fate. So yep. I'm, I'm kind of curious how you feel about, like, the ending and the hospital scene, which we haven't talked about. Well, look, so really quick, you know, I haven't quite touched on why why I think everyone is an asshole in this movie. Uh, I mean, we've kind of talked about that a little bit, you know, just the sense that, like, it, it's kind of showing the the sort of way the society reacts, you know, and how we are all kind of dickish to each other and, yep. and very selfish and, yep. and uncaring until it happens to us, right? And so, so I did... You know, so I think that that is the big purpose for, like, why everyone is so awful in this film is that, you know, again, I hate to say it, it's kind of a smart movie because it it's really, it is kind of touching on the fact of kind of how we act in these situations, yeah. right? You know, everyone would like to believe that, oh, if there's a fresh, flesh-eating virus, you know, like, going through town, we like to imagine that we would all bond together and help each other and keep people from getting infected, that's just not how humanity works, unfortunately, you know? Nope. And so, and so, like, you're supposed to dislike all these characters because you're supposed to look at everything they're doing as being like, you shouldn't be acting that way. <laughs> Don't you, do you, that. You shouldn't be beating that sick man <laughs> with a baseball bat. You know, like, you, you should not be doing that. You shouldn't and, put your friend in the shame cabin. <laughs> right. And so, and so how that relates to the ending is just that, you know, I think the ending's interesting because I think that it also speaks to, again... It touches on a lot of things. It goes back to privilege and, and the way that we act towards each other and the way that we misread people, you know, and we judge books by their covers. And I think the ending's interesting because most Cabin in the Woods movies tend to treat Southerners as, like, horror villains. You yeah. know, they're always very creepy and weird and... You know, there's like something wrong with them or they're just straight up the villains, you know, whether it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the Ron Turn franchise or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they're always kind of that character. And it's kind of an interesting thing that Roth does here where, you know, he does have those characters, but then he also has like the dude at the shop, which, again, I don't want to repeat the <laughs> shit that he says, but it flips what you thought you knew in the beginning when he first says that about like you know, that rifle is for these people. Mm -hmm. When he first says that, you're like, oh, geez, you know, fuck, guys, dude, dude's fucking racist, right? And then the ending is supposed to be like, oh, no, he wasn't really actually racist. He still, you know... He should have said the words. <laughs> I still don't agree with him saying that, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty wrong, but, you know, but... but you. It's basically just kind of talking about like how we misconceive people, you know. Yeah. Every, everyone is is a, a person underneath our conception of them, mm -hmm. and 
And, you know, it's kind of, I guess that's kind of fun, actually, now I'm thinking about it, like, playing into the whole flesh-eating virus, right? Because the, the virus is basically peeling back the layers of people. Yeah. And so there's kind of a big difference, I guess, when you look at our kids, who are supposed to initially view as the heroes, and as their layers are being peeled back and, and revealed, we realize they're all pretty much fucking pieces of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then as people like the shop owner is being revealed, right? Like, he's that... A questionable dude, but he's not. But <laughs> yeah. he's not necessarily a bad guy, right? So, <laughs> I for me, the ending is twofold because a you have Paul getting to the hospital, which was the goal the entire time, right? And I think Paul and Jeff both have similar stories in the fact that if you get to that end point, but you get there alone, it doesn't matter. Like if you did it by yourself or you did it on the backs of others, you still don't make it out of the situation alive. That's why they both end up on the bonfire despite ostensibly getting to the end goals. And then to your point with the rural community and everything like that, I think it's really pointing to how privileged people coming into those communities can really fuck up their system because that community was fine. Like, they would have found Henry, they would have taken care of him, they wouldn't have dealt with any of this. But well, because these assholes made a mess of it, now their water's contaminated and that... Well, well so this is, I mean, this is the 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 kind of hidden thing, I think, in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Is that they, I, I don't know that it's ever really explained, but they have this kit that they mention, right? Mm-hmm. Like, after Dennis bites Paul and gets infected, yeah, uh, th- they say to get the kit. And then when they show up at the cabin uh, and Paul's killing people, th- there's the one dude with the kit. And, and it, it, you sort of, you almost get the impression of like, maybe they're there to cure them. I mean, yeah. it's still like, it, it's a little fuzzy for me there, but, mm-hmm. um, but again, it plays into the, 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 the misreading people and misreading intentions. Right. And how, you know, basically these kids came into these woods and are basically thinking like, all these people are fucking evil because they're Southerners and I'm not used to that, right? Yep. And and so, you know, so they just kind of like misread intentions and everyone's going at each other. But so just kind of ironic there. And then just quickly, as far, as far as that hospital scene goes again, I, you know, I think part of this is just, part of it is frankly just Paul losing his fucking mind. Yes. Uh, I mean, like that's what the rabbit is. If, you know, I think if you look closely, I believe that the rabbit has pancakes yeah. and <laughs> fucking Dennis. Well, I I think Paul's lost it long before Dennis. So yeah. like, you know, <laughs> so I, I don't know that this is Roth's intentions, but you can view that scene as Dennis like going all fucking taekwondo and screaming about pancakes. <laughs> I mean, there's a good chance that none of that shit's fucking real. Yeah, and it's all like a fever dream in Paul's head. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy it. Yeah, but so we got to start wrapping up. We're already kind of running over time here. So who is your killer idiot of cabin fever? All of them. Every single one of them. Well, it can't be all of them. You got to pick one. You've done all of them before. Nope. Nope. (laughs) I mean, you're totally right. I am. (laughs) Fuck you. I'm sticking with all of them. Easy answer. Um, Fine. (laughs) If I'm going to go with one specific person, then I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Bert. I don't necessarily think that he's the killer idiot, but his selfishness and the idiocy that's born from his selfishness and not willing to help Henry dooms everybody. I mean, he's pretty much the killer idiot. The dude builds a fucking bonfire in a way that I've never seen anybody build a bonfire. It's very obvious that the fire is supposed to go in the pit, not around it. Oh, no, he's just just being an asshole. 
He knows that it's supposed to go inside, but he's a fucking piece of shit. No, I think I think he was just an idiot there. Really? Didn't know what he was. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> There's no reason for him to do that. Like... No... I mean, he's a tool bag. Yeah, a dumb tool bag, which is why he doesn't know how to build a fucking bonfire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's an idiot. Who builds a fucking pit fire like that? Oh. Uh, uh, what about your killer death? Oh, that goes to Jeff. I really just didn't like Jeff by the end. So him having his moment where he like is celebrating that he made it. And I get it. He cries for his friends, blah, blah, blah. But then just seeing him like dealing with a rain of fire, they shoot him so many more times than are necessary for, for an unarmed man that I just I fucking love it. Yeah, mine's going to go to Bert just because I love watching his head get blown <laughs> off. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's it's a good splatter. I'm a, I'm a sucker for head explosions, right? So <laughs> Yeah, it's good. Uh, what about your killer MVP of Cabin Fever? Uh, so that goes to um, uh, Howard Bergeron. Just, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you and say it's the KNB effects team. <laughs> yeah, I have a hard time researching when it's the makeups and the, the effects team people. But yes, it goes to the effects team specifically yeah. for Karen's face after the dog eats it. Oh, it's great. A yeah. And look, for those who don't know uh, KNB, since Chris apparently doesn't, I just want to quickly <laughs> mention KNB is an effects team that you're probably very familiar with. They've been doing a lot of great stuff since like the late 80s, early 90s, I think. So. <laughs> look, uh, I'm this podcast killer idiot. I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get us murdered because I'm not that smart. You're not an idiot. Um, <laughs> but and, and look, actually, you reminded me of something really quick about Karen just because I thought it was a fun thought. Really quick going back to the whole like sexuality thing, right? Um, there's also kind of a theme here, which I think is interesting coming from Roth, considering his general viewpoint <laughs> uh, on things that I've gathered from him is that there, there's sort of a small commentary on just the very simple idea of men are dogs. <laughs> and why I say that is the virus comes from a dog. Yeah. That's our opening scene. The virus comes from a dog. Paul, our next scene with dogs, is Paul meeting a couple dogs. Mm -hmm. And the dogs are very friendly to him. You know, Paul's all about hanging out with these dogs, right? And then later on, a fucking dog eats Karen. And, and then Ma it and Marcy. eats Marcy. Yep. <laughs> you know, so both of whom, by the way, Paul either had, well, both of whom, by the way, Paul had a sexual encounter with, right? Yep. So, so between, between the, the virus coming from a dog, Paul playing with dogs, like it's very specifically like, here's a shot of Paul playing with dogs. Yeah. There's no reason for it, you know? Other than uh, dogs are cute. Well, other than dogs are cute, but, <laughs> but that, and then combined with the fact that both of the women, like... How coincidental is that? Both of the women are killed by a dog. <laughs> well, they're both killed by dogs, but Karen's almost killed by the dog, and then Paul kills her. Like, Paul ends up, like, chopping her up because he thinks that she's better off dead than her, like, half-life. Right. Well, either way, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's essentially this idea of, like, men devouring women, you know? Yep. Men, men, you know, treating women in a way that's not human. <laughs> it's just so true. So true. Um, indeed. So, <laughs> anyway, on that depressing note, uh, so that's going to do it for... Wait, who's your killer MVP? Oh, it's also the KMB FX team. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Okay. <laughs> We've been in uh, agreement lately. So, I got to start throwing... Curveballs? Curveballs at you. <laughs> uh, so, so that's going to do it for us on Cabin Fever. So, next week, we will be 
talking about the Josh Rubin horror anthology film Scare Me, yeah. uh, which I cannot wait to talk about. I love this film. I believe it should still be streaming on Shudder if you've never seen it. Uh, but we'll be doing that next week. And so hope you enjoyed us talking about Cabin Fever <laughs> on, on a note of the pandemic. If you're still unvaccinated, please get your fucking vaccine. Please wear your fucking mask. Yes. Just for the love of God, can we just end this fucking thing so we can go back to I, our lives? Please? I want to go to <laughs> horror conventions again, you fucks. Like, I swear to God, if, if the fucking unvaccinated get us... You know, get Candyman and Halloween Kills and all these great movies pushed back again. I'm going to throw a fucking fit. I'm going to lose my shit. Because <laughs> it doesn't have to happen this way. Damn it. <laughs> Waited too long uh, for Candyman. Too long. Waited too long. Uh, but so anyway, so that's going to do it for us on that. So, so I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a good night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.